0: you're listening to trucking questions from the audio road with kevin rutherford this is the show that puts the money where it belongs back in your pocket you can ask questions about trucks money fuel mileage maintenance tires tax technology or anything else about the business of trucking here we go
1: let's head on down the audio road
2: money where it belongs back in your pocket
3: welcome to my world i'm your host kevin rutherford the website is let the show is all about the business of trucking we take your calls and answer your questions about trucks money fuel mileage maintenance tires taxes technology health and fitness on the road getting started as an owner operator finding freight working with brokers, the list goes on and on. If you've got a question about anything at all, pick up the phone, give me a call, and we'll get to it. And uh, you know these one-hour shows during the week, they go so fast that I think tonight I'm just going to get right into your phone calls and see what it is you want to talk about. Let's start off in Texas. Eric, welcome to the program.
4: How are you doing today, Kevin?
3: Doing great. What can I help you with?
4: Yes, I think I have a problem with my engine or my transmission. Uh, when I'm ta- when I'm taking a, a heavy load, about uh, eighty thousand max pounds, going up a, a fairly large hill or a mountain, I press down on the throttle, and when I get into the hill, it seems like I lose a gear and it over reverend and then when I let go of the throttle and go back to a, where it's supposed to be, it catch again. And I'm just wondering what what symptom is that? Why why does why does my truck do that?
3: When you say it loses a gear, um I wanna just be clear that we're talking about the same thing. Do you mean the RPMs start to go up but you're not moving any faster?
4: The RPMs are like over rev, like you like say for instance like I'm I'm changing gears and if I'm not if I'm not uh progressive shifting uh over rev it'd be like, and then it will go back to uh, normal. That's what my truck's do when I'm climbing a hill and I'm in the gear.
3: That that almost sounds to me like it the clutch is slipping. I mean, a gear is either in or out. I mean, if a truck comes out of gear, you absolutely know it. it so I don't think we've got a transmission or an engine problem. I think we've got a clutch that's slipping. That's what it sounds like to me. And then what happens is if you let off the throttle, you slow down the clutch enough that it will grab again. But it sounds to me like when you're putting it under too much load, the clutch is slipping. And that, that might be an adjustment. You might be able to adjust it. How much free play can you feel in your clutch when you put your foot on it? That you know The free play before you really start feeling any resistance. How much space is there?
4: Really not. It's really tight.
3: Yeah, you you might be able to adjust it, and there's no way to know until you get down there and try. How many miles are on this truck? Uh,
4: eighty thirteen seventy
3: six. So over eight hundred thousand.
2: Yeah.
3: Okay, yeah, it's very possible it might need a clutch. But it might just be adjustment. You never know until you get down there and see if there's any adjustment left, but uh, it certainly sounds like a clutch. Uh,
4: What kind of clutch do you recommend if I do need a clutch, and how much do they run?
3: Yeah, I like the LIPE, L-I-P-E clutch. As far as how much they run, it's really kind of all over the board. A lot of the difference you'll see in, in clutch installation cost is in the labor itself. Um, the light clutch is no more expensive than a standard clutch and a little easier to install, so sometimes it ends up being slightly less, even though it's a much better clutch. Let's go to Connecticut. David, welcome to the program.
5: Hey, Kevin. How you doing? Good. What's on your mind today? Okay, so um, you scolded me when I was looking at the, buying a newer truck last year. And so you sent me after you know the, the the teardown, the stop holding the steering wheel thing that you have, and I went through it right. and I bought a glider. Okay. So I'm I'm at the end stages of it, and I sent you uh, the rig dig and uh, a couple other things there. I was wondering what you thought about the truck. Also got it inspected twice, once for the Landstar inspection, which caught a uh, drag link, uh, which got replaced. And also at Pittsburgh Power, they found a bunch of things that he told me not to be worried about it, uh, Eric did. But I was wondering, you know, the list of things to address on this truck, because the dealership, the best they would do is come down on the price, which which was good. I still got beat up
3: a little bit. Yeah, but that's the nice part about doing those kind of more in-depth inspections, especially when it's done at a reputable shop, and then you can go back to the dealer and say, hey, look. This is what they found. This is what it's going to cost me to fix it. That is a great negotiation tool. So I'm glad you did those. And and most of the time we find stuff that isn't going to change our mind about buying the truck. It just gives us that information to go back and negotiate better and to know how much we're going to have to spend to get the truck right. So uh, good job on being very thorough on going through this. Um, I'm glad you told me it was a glider. I had a feeling it might have been because the rig dig brought up what's called a title brand, and that title brand shows the truck as being reconstructed. And yes, that can definitely be a glider, but it could also My be a truck that was... My understanding is uh, that
5: the, 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 the state of Ohio, the second one, when they flipped the title, I was told that they had to list it that way, the
3: dealership did. Yeah, yeah, and that's fine, um, but it could have also been that um, it was a wrecked truck, a flooded truck, a truck that burnt down, and then was reconstructed. We would look at that very differently than looking at it as a glider. So once we know that's why it has that title brand, then that's just I fine. I even know the fleet that I mean, it came I, out of and where it ran. right. Yeah, so I don't see any reason whatsoever not to buy this truck, and that's what the inspections and the rig dig and all this is about is can we find a reason that we shouldn't buy the truck, and you did all the work, and I don't see any reason not to do it. The uh, ECM report looks good, lifetime fuel economy looks excellent, there's virtually no blow-by, they did a blow-by when it was on the dyno, so... This looks really good. Now, some of the
5: things that came up at Pittsburgh Power, um, I'm not exactly sure what order to take care of this. As part of the negotiation, one of the negotiation things was the turbo. Um, Ethan told me that um, the uh, wastegate was open. Uh, you know, it just opened and stayed open. And when I went back to the dealership, they said, well, it's putting 411 or 410 to the ground. Uh, I don't think the wastegate is an issue. So, I'm not sure w- where I stand on that because what, what I understand is a wastegate is to uh, dump excessive turbo uh, so you don't blow the turbo. Uh, so, so if it's uh, open the whole time, that, that would mean at lower uh, lower boost, maybe it's a dog or something? Or do I need to worry about the wastegate?
3: Um, I, you know, we can close off a wastegate. We can certainly have a turbo without a wastegate. A wastegate is, is a, really a compromise. It used to be that if a manufacturer had three different horsepower ratings on an engine, um, that they would use three different turbos based on how much horsepower. That's the right way to do it. But it's expensive to, to stock and service and carry three different turbos. So they designed the wastegate that allows the turbo to kind of adjust to different horsepower settings so they can put one turbo on multiple engines. But it's a compromise, and any time that wastegate is open, we're losing some of the efficiency of having a turbo. So it's not a huge deal. If you take it out and drive it right and it's running okay, then it's probably fine for now. Um, You may even want to think about in the future putting a non-wastegate turbo on it, just picking the turbo that's right for that engine. And putting a non wastegate on it
5: well that's I was talking to Eric and he um explained to me that the, the turbo that's on there is undersized and antiquated to begin with that's his words, so what I decided yeah. to do is negotiate the price down instead of having the dealership throw you know another same turbo because right. you, you can't, you can't good idea. buy a new wastegate yeah so'm I'm, I'm thinking about going back to Eric, but can I run this truck the way it is, or do I need to do something to the yeah. wastegate,
3: or should I just uh, I, now, I run it like now this? It, it, yeah, if you take it out and it's running right, I mean, it, it, what happens when the wastegate is malfunctioning is the turbo won't function optimally. There are times when having the wastegate non-functional actually makes the truck run better. It just And depends. that's what it's but showing. It's, it's
5: showing a d- higher horsepower to the ground.
4: Right.
3: The, 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 dyno the dyno report looks good. The horsepower to the ground tells us it's a healthy engine. There's no blow-by. That tells us it's got lots of life left in it. So, yeah, if it's running and it's running right, even if the wastegate is non-functioning, you're fine for now.
5: Okay, so that's one issue, so I'm going to let it
3: Oh. Okay, hold that thought. We'll come back and we will talk about the rest right after this break. Stick around. We'll be right back. I'm Kevin Rothbard. We're going to get right back to the phone calls I was talking with David in Connecticut. Okay, David, what's the next issue?
5: Okay, this is all transmission and driveline type things, uh, which is, it it didn't scare me. That's why I I pulled the trigger on it, and he wasn't going to fix any of this because these are are expensive uh, things that probably don't need to get fixed right away from what I've read uh, in different places. The, uh, The tranny is leaking from the bell housing. Rear structure is leaking. Rear main seal. Um and there's noise coming from the power divider box. Uh, Playing the slip. Yeah. So,
3: okay. So the main seal, not uncommon, not going to kill anything. It may or may not get worse. I've seen main seal leaks stay the same for years. Sometimes, Uh, not something I necessarily just run in and fix. Some people will because they hate any kind of leak, but it's a, I mean, you got to pull the transmission. There's going to be some labor involved. So it's one of those things that if you have the done. budget...
5: What's that? I said if the clutch needs done. I was thinking about holding off. The only thing that makes me nervous yeah. is the noise in the in a power divider. That's probably not an yeah, expensive so, fix.
3: Yeah, so the rear seal, let's kind of ignore that for now. Um, I wouldn't get too crazy about that. The power divider noise, the first thing I would do is take an oil sample and let's see what's going on with the oil. Let's see what kind of contamination we find. Um, And then we may have to progress to a a more physical inspection of getting up inside there and seeing. It may not be a big deal. Um, It might be. You just don't know. Uh, But even worst-case scenario, you replace the entire differential Uh, and power divider, and you're only talking about a couple thousand dollars, and that's just not that big of a deal. So any other stuff uh, on the drivetrain is fairly minor. So I I would get an oil sample right away, and depending on how noisy it is, I may even just do a physical inspection right away.
5: Okay. Okay. Um, And then uh, he he wrote up, uh, he really couldn't dig into where this oil leak was, but he wrote up an oil leak behind the oil cooler. It's a Series 60. So is that something that, uh, if it's not, nothing is, none of these leaks, by the way, are falling on the floor. They just cake on. Right. And when I went to the dealership and explained all this, they gave me terms of a a level one, two, and three leak. And he said only level threes
3: get fixed. Which is pretty common because fixing a lot of these leaks just requires a lot of labor. It, it's a, it's tough to get down into where these engines leak a lot of times. So many times we just let them go, and we okay. it, when we fix them it's normally when we're in deep for some other reason. You know, if you've got to do a clutch, then you can do a, a, a main seal, that kind of thing. Uh, and there are people who will spend the money to go in and fix it because leaks drive them crazy. Uh, I, I'm not wild about having leaks, but I'm um, a little more practical on how much money I'm going to spend to fix them when they're just not that big of a deal. Sounds like you, uh, you found a good one. You are going to be far happier with this truck than you would have been with the new one. So congratulations on doing the hard work. Let's see... Let's head off to Missouri. Bill, welcome to the program.
6: How you doing today?
3: Good. What well, can I help you with?
6: Good. Hey, I just wanted to uh, kind of uh, update you guys on uh, my uh, improvements in CNC. Okay. Uh, I, I don't know if you can pull up my truck on the uh, thing or not.
3: Uh, I can, if I have your truck name.
6: Okay, it's K-N-O-W-B-S Transportation, or Trans, actually.
3: Got it, let me try that. And while I'm looking for the truck, go ahead and tell me what uh, we're looking at.
6: Well, it's it's a classic, it's an O2 classic, the Series 60 Detroit, and, um... I've owned it for six years, and all along i thought about taking the stacks off and air cleaners off and stuff, and I finally, that Saturday before CMC, I
4: I started on it
6: and um, finally got the air cleaners off and the the one stack off and uh, put on the FLD air filter under the uh, um, the hood, and air tab so far, and I'm up... But uh,
3: right close to a half mile a gallon. Very nice. I I can see that. I see the lifetime is 5.4. And we're really, uh, you're right there at 6. You're at 5.98 on a 30 day. So um, actually a little over a half mile per gallon, which is pretty awesome. Um,
6: How much did you
3: spend doing all that?
6: Um,. The air cleaner is a couple hundred bucks, um, and then uh, the uh, air tabs are, you know, almost two hundred I suppose. And then,
4: uh, then it's just a matter of pulling the, cutting the other one off. I already had it disconnected
6: because it was, uh, I had had to replace the uh, exhaust last summer, and I just did it without, uh, you know, replacing the whole thing. Uh, I still need to move the other stack behind the cab, but um, those those two things are a couple hundred, well, dollars, I suppose. Uh, yeah, of course, and I just some labor,
3: to, which is just uh, no, amazing, I literally. Yeah, what I mean, yeah, it's your time, which is wonderful, because I'd rather use some of my time than cash, um,
2: which really
3: yeah. makes this an amazing modification because. It's paid for itself in about thirty days.
2: Right.
6: Yeah. And then uh, now I just had to put another turbo on it, and I went ahead and uh, put the Dur Light uh, charge air cooler on it. So my maintenance is way up for the for the year, but it's well, uh,
3: That's uh, it's looking up. Those are those are normal. Um, you know, on a. Uh, with a 14-year-old truck now, that's normal kind of maintenance. It's not a big deal. The duralite's going to outlast the truck. And yeah. your fuel economy, um, you know, it, like I say, it doesn't get any better than that. We don't often do modifications that improve, you know, six-tenths and pay for themselves in 30 days. That's right. it doesn't get any better.
6: Right. So anyway... I appreciate it, and uh, I really enjoyed CMC, and you have a good week.
3: Fantastic. Great stuff. Boy, I love seeing numbers like that. Let's head off to Iowa. Danny, welcome to the program. Hello. Yep, it's your turn. What's on your mind today?
7: How are you doing this afternoon there?
3: Good, good. What can I help you with? uh.
7: Hey, um, I, I got a question for you there, Kevin. Um, I was trying to get this truck and trailer up to the CMC this year, uh, for hopefully like the fuel mileage makeover <laughs> if I was lucky enough, but I couldn't get the, the truck uh, done in time to get it up there. So I, unfortunately I didn't make it cause the truck was down. Um, well, we had purchased a UT six plus last year in Kansas city. Okay. Um, and they installed it at the. Uh, um, th- there we didn't we we weren't able to go to the CMC to get them installed, so they sent us to the carrier dealer, I believe in Kansas City, right. uh, and they right. put it on. And I was just wondering, uh, uh, have you ever seen where there's no improvement when you put that UT6 Plus system on on the on the fuel mileage? You know
3: not no, I mean we we with the the six plus we typically see darn close to ten percent, which is a big increase. when we put the whole system on at once, you know sometimes when we do it piece by piece it's a little harder to tell so if how long has it been on and how many miles have you tracked it for?
7: um well, it's been on for a year since last cMC and uh i I tracked every tank of fuel on the on that on that truck or so well on both trucks I do both all the tanks and um it it didn't show no improvement and i I even pulled it with my truck for a month, the trailer with mine, and I didn't really notice nothing on my truck either um
3: yeah, so you know yeah. the trailer the one thing about aerodynamics if, if we uh, are working on things like engine improvements or driving habits, then the the improvements can just be all over the board. They're not always very consistent. But the thing about aerodynamic improvements is they're consistent. They affect almost every truck the same. So when we do an aerodynamic improvement that we have tons of data and testing on, and it doesn't work, we have to look at what else may have gone on. And, and it's hard to say going back a year. I would have to really maybe kind of dig in and look at other things. Um, you know, if we put it on and nothing happens in the first 30 days, because that's the other thing about aerodynamics. There's no waiting period. You put it on the very first time you drive the truck, there's an improvement. But it normally takes us about 30 days to work out all the variables. Um, so sometimes we'll see somebody will put... A, you know, an improvement on as we're heading into winter. So then you don't see that increase. Then by the time we come back around to summer, who knows how many things have gone on. So what we normally do in this case is go back to the basics. I wish you could have been there for the fuel mileage makeover because that's the kind of stuff we can dig in and usually figure out. I've got to get to a break. We'll be right back.
2: Kevin
4: Rosberg.
3: Back, I'm Kevin Rutherford. We're going to get right back to the phone calls. We are off to Texas, Cameron. Welcome to the program. Hello. Yep. What can I help you with today? Hello.
8: Hey, Kevin. Um, I got a question. Um, uh, when you're when you're doing your taxes, uh, the, the like shower receipt uh, is that included in per diem, or can you claim that as as an expense?
3: So. What I tell people on uh, two items, showers and laundry, is keep track of them all year. Keep them separate. Keep the receipts. Um, If, like, laundry, a lot of times you're just putting quarters in a machine you don't necessarily – get a receipt but you can keep a notebook of those kind of expenses and it's still deductible. But those two things, showers and um, laundry, the IRS keeps changing its mind. Some years it's clearly included in per diem and other years you can't find it anywhere so you deduct it separately. So I tell people keep track of it. Wait till the end of the year and let your taxpayer look it up that year to see whether it's going to be included in per diem or not. The IRS just can't seem to make up their mind on this one.
7: Right on, that works. Um, I'm, I'm going to do. I'm going
8: to use um, the profit gauges. I'm going to start using that. Um, yeah. How do excellent. I do that? Just go on the web's, website. If I've got the. I've been using the fuel gauges for a couple of years now.
3: Yeah, so you've already place. you've already got an account. You'll use your same login. So when you're logged okay. into your fuel gauges account, you should see an upgrade option. And when you okay. upgrade the profit gauges, then you have access to it. Nothing changes still. Same login, same password, all of that.
4: Okay,
7: and then it'll just prompt me to, to pay as I go? or.
3: Yep, yeah. Well, you put in a credit card, and we just bill it the same day every month.
7: Right
3: on, right on. Okay, that'll work. Thanks, Kevin. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. As of right now, showers and laundry are deductible separate from per diem, but they've changed that a couple times over the years, so I always like to qualify that one. Let's uh, let's go to Illinois. Cindy, welcome to the program.
1: Hi, Kevin. Uh, uh, Recently, I heard you give a kind of a recipe for a a really good mayonnaise that you make uh, for the ketogenic uh, program, and I got down avocado oil and horseradish, but I couldn't remember any of the other ingredients or how much, and I just thought I'd call in and see if you would mind running that by me again real quick. (laughs)
3: Not at all. So let's throw out the horseradish for now because that may have been something else that I was talking about. Let's just talk about the standard mayonnaise recipe, which doesn't have horseradish. And then just know that when you make mayonnaise, it's like a lot of things. There's a thousand variations. But let's take the the basic recipe. um, And the details are kind of important here. So you get a glass... Wide mouth mason jar, we start with that, and a stick blender. you know what those are?
1: Uh, what kind of a blender?
3: A stick blender, so it's like a oh, long yes. yeah, yes, it's got the I little have propeller one. down on the bottom, yeah, so that's yeah, what okay. that's what's required to make i mean you can make mayonnaise with a whisk, but it's a lot okay. of work, and it doesn't always come together. You can make mayonnaise in a blender if you can drizzle the oil in slowly and there's always a trick to it and it doesn't always work. This, this is as close to foolproof as I've seen. So you've got okay. your glass mason jar, you've got your stick blender, and you have okay. to put the ingredients in the jar in this order. So the okay. first thing that goes in the jar is an egg. Just crack an egg okay. right into the bottom. Then we can put in um, a little bit of acid. So that could be a lemon juice, a lime juice, an apple cider vinegar. Um, I like to use raw apple cider vinegar. It's got a good taste and it's got a lot of nutrients. So you put okay. in um, about a teaspoon of that. That's not critical. If you want a, a, a more of a sharp bite to your mayonnaise, you can put in a little more vinegar. If you want it to be a little creamier and smoother not so acidic, you can put in less. The amount you use on the acid won't change whether or not this works. Um, At this point, I would also put in a little bit of salt and pepper, and then what you do is put in anywhere from three-quarters of a cup to about a cup of good quality oil. Now, this is the biggest reason we don't like to use mayonnaise from the store because they use the worst possible oils. They're just horrible for you. So this is the whole key. The the reason we make our own is, one, we don't want sugar in there, and a lot of the commercial brands have sugar, but more importantly, we don't want the junk fats that they use. So my favorite oil to use for this is avocado oil.
0: Avocado oil
3: has got a very neutral taste. Um, it's really healthy, it's stable. You can use olive oil. Um, You probably want to go, if you're going to use olive oil, go towards the lighter uh, varieties. If you use extra virgin, it'll work. Um, And if you like the taste of olive oil, it makes a really unique mayonnaise, but it's got a, a much more flavor, and sometimes people don't necessarily like that olive oil taste. You can, walnut oil is one of my favorites, but it's kind of expensive, so I don't do that very often. I've even made bacon fat mayonnaise, so I literally saved up the drippings from making bacon, you know, and always make sure you're using good quality bacon, and then use that rendered bacon fat as the, the oil for the mayonnaise, that makes a really Uh, kind of wild bacon-flavored mayonnaise. It's kind of fun. Uh, Wow.
2: Yeah, and
3: and then you can throw in things like garlic. You could throw in cilantro or any kind of herbs you like. And and then you start making almost like sauces. And it's all the same. Start with that basic recipe. Put in, you know, hot peppers or garlic or herbs or whatever you want. You can play around with it. You can change the oil up and you can change the acid up some. And there's a lot of varieties, but just remember, the egg, the acid, the salt and pepper, the oil goes on top. And then when you go to make this, you put the stick blender all the way to the very bottom. You have to hold Ah. it on the bottom of the jar. Hit the button, and you should have mayonnaise in 20 to 30 seconds.
1: Okay, and how much avocado oil do
3: you start with? So... It usually ends up being three quarters of a cup to a cup. And the more okay. oil you use, the thicker the mayonnaise will become. The less okay. oil you use, the more it will be a little more viscous. So it's one of those okay. things that once you start making it, you play around with it, and you'll start to see how it changes. Okay.
6: Thank you so much.
3: You're welcome. Thanks for the call. Yeah, you know, once you learn how to make some mayonnaise like this,
4: you will never go
3: back to the stuff in the in the grocery store. This is so much healthier. In fact, I just had some uh, for lunch today that um, had chipotle and lime. So that was so. Instead of using the apple cider vinegar for the acid, I used lime, and then I put in um, some of the sauce from a can of chipotle's, and that makes an amazing mayonnaise, and on that one I used avocado oil. Let's see. Uh, you know what? I think I'm going to get to a call here before we've got to get to a break. Let's go to Georgia. Timmy, welcome to the program. Hey, how you doing? Good. What can I help you with today?
9: Uh, well, i got a problem. Uh, I've had a stomach problem pretty much all my life. And it led to getting my gallbladder removed about seven years ago. And it didn't fix the problem. And everything I eat,
3: I throw it up. Okay, so let's quantify. Because if if everything you ate, you've been throwing up your whole life, you would have died. So we've got to kind of clarify. Some of the food is making it through. Otherwise, you would be getting zero nutrition. So, can we kind (laughs) of maybe Um, quantify that a little uh, better? Like,
9: uh, yeah, well, usually about thirty minutes after I eat, I end up my stomach swells. I mean, it it literally swells up, (laughs) and and probably about with an hour after I eat, I end up throwing probably. Not all of it,
3: you know, but I I usually throw
9: most of it up.
3: Yeah, And, and that's why you're getting some nutrition because if it's taking an hour, some of the food is actually making it through the stomach into the digestive tract. So that helps clarify that a little bit. Let me get to a break. We'll come back and talk about where I would go with this. Stick around. We'll be right back. I'm Kevin Rothbard. All right, let me give you a quick heads up. We're heading into the fourth segment. Um, Looks like we've got uh, quite a few questions on the line, but you might be able, if you press one on your phone here pretty quick, you might be able to get through in the next hour. I've got enough questions. We will go ahead and do another hour. So at the end of this segment, I'm going to say goodnight, goodbye, all that stuff. Don't hang up. We'll come back and do a second hour. And if you want, press one on your phone right now you might be able to get through the question. Here we go.
2: Oh,
3: it looks like I lost that call during the break. Um, You know what, I'm going to give a a quick answer to that in case he's able to hear it. Uh, I I did have a couple other questions that would have helped for him. uh, If there's a history of heartburn, um, other kinds of indigestion that might point us in the right direction. Um, I, I think we might have two things going on here. Without a gallbladder, it's very, very difficult to digest fat properly, cause a lot of indigestion. Um, There's a way to fix that, though, and and it's not by eating a low-fat diet. In fact, the opposite. You need to to eat a high-fat diet, but you need to support the gallbladder with a supplement, and this is one of those times where you will have to supplement the rest of your life.
10: There's just no way
3: around it. You're missing an important part of the digestive system It makes me crazy that doctors think it's just an extra part they can take out and it didn't fix the problem. And it wouldn't have. I mean, doctors should know this. Um, But you can support that function of the gallbladder with a supplement. In fact, if you call, um, we are kind of getting set up to start selling uh, supplements now that I am an NTP I have access to a professional line of supplements. Um, I'm not big on supplements. I would like to use them very targeted, um, where we identify something somebody needs for sure, and then we try different supplements, and, and there's some testing procedures we can use to make sure we're using the right supplement. We're going to get results. And for most people... I only want to use supplements to solve a problem, and then we can usually stop the supplement once the problem is solved. But there are some exceptions, and this is one. Without a gallbladder, you have to supplement with bile salts the rest of your life in order to be able to digest fats properly. But it's no big deal. Um, Bile salts have no side effects. We have some great supplements that support the liver and um, have the bile salts in them. And you just eat them with a meal. And the more fat that's in the meal, if it's a meal that's kind of light and fat, you might only eat one. If it's a meal heavy in fat, you might eat two or three. Um, they're not horribly expensive, and it will make a huge difference in your health. But I also think that you may have a stomach acid problem. Um, I would recommend that you find an NTP and work through this. There is a way to kind of test this on your own, but I, I, you know, for somebody who's who's throwing up that often, I think an NTP will be able to to dial into this problem much faster than you're trying to do it on your own. So look for an NTP. They are going to focus on digestion from north to south, and they will find a way to fix the problem. And, and I think it might be low stomach acid and the fact that you don't have a gallbladder combined that's causing this. Let's head off to Pennsylvania. Alberto, welcome to the program.
8: How are you doing, Kevin? Uh, it's been a while since I've been able to talk to you. I just wanted to give you an update. Um, you guys were kind of enough nice to send me the uh, program, um, so I've, I've hit that hard. I've actually started Good. doing a lot of the uh, finances. Um, and the update is is that I've actually set a date. It's going to be 24 months from now. And then within those 24 months, me and my family will be completely debt-free. We will have
2: 15000
8: set aside per truck plus five months of expenses, um, or should I say wages, of what I make right now. Yeah. Um, I, I did everything um, in terms of the... Uh, finding out my, um, uh, my net worth. And even though I'm standing good at that right now, I wanted to be able to be a hundred percent debt free and have those, uh, those five to six months of, of, uh, income in there. Uh, plus a little bit over of operating expenses above the, uh, the 15 for the truck.
3: Well, congratulations. So, That's amazing. And, uh, it, doesn't it feel good to do that work and then have that plan? It Doesn't it just take away a lot of the fear and doubt?
8: Oh, definitely, definitely. Um, you know, just I just wanted to thank you guys, you know, because it's it's, um, it's definitely the, the right way to have that plan and, and have the basics done. You know, like you say, you know, doing the hard work first. Um, then other than just jumping into it, I've talked to a lot of people who drive, for for my comp- the company that I work for. And I've been talking to them about your programs and stuff like that. And they're like, well, you know, I wish I would have known this before I bought this truck. I wish I would have known that before I got into a right. company that I used to be in, you know, and, and they're asking, well, you know, uh, do you understand all the hard work? They're like, do you, do you think you're going to have more free time? And I'm like, well, right now, as it is, I'm one of the hardest working guys here and I plan to work even harder. Um, and, uh, you know, that's, that's why I want to do it. I, I like working hard, but I also want to see that benefit of working hard, that, that if I fail, Excellent. it's because I failed. If I succeed, it's because I put in the hard work. You know, so I, you know yeah, that, I just wanted to thank you guys.
3: Oh, no, you're welcome. Thank you for actually taking it and using it and doing the hard work. And, and you know, the, the, the statement you just made, to me, kind of sums up the thinking of a good entrepreneur. it's not always about the money not always about the time or how much work you're going to have to do those are all issues but i think for a good entrepreneur it comes down to the idea of if i succeed it's going to be me if i fail it's going to be me um the harder i work the more i'll benefit i'm not you know killing myself so somebody else gets most of the benefit the company i work for so you know that's when I see people who have that attitude as an entrepreneur, I know they're going to be successful. They'll have ups and downs and setbacks here and there, but they'll always figure out a way to make it work. Yes.
8: Now, actually I did have another question. Um, I'm not looking into your sure. truck right now, but when I do get into, into that phase of, of this project, um, I run intermodal. Um, I run uh, right now I'm running a day cab and I'm going to, thinking of doing the same thing, but I would actually like to get a sleeper, something with a small sleeper, so I could easily run regional or even uh, go OTR. What would you recommend in terms of of a truck, something light enough, but still a workhorse, a moneymaker, for, for an intermodal operation?
3: You know, and and getting this was a good idea. Um, I've owned day cabs. They're not as aerodynamic as a sleeper, so it's actually easier to get um, better fuel economy out of a a well-designed aerodynamic truck with a sleeper than it is with a day cab. Um, And it really doesn't make the truck that much less maneuverable or, you know, I've run around in the city doing a lot of stops with sleepers, and it's just not that big of a deal. Um, I I would be looking at, you know, I I really like the uh, late 90s, early 2000 Volvos, um, but you can also look at late 90s, early 2000s T600s. Uh, FLDs. So you've got a couple options there. I, I, you know, if they're staying within a, a fairly reasonable sleeper size, really, even the biggest OEM sleeper isn't that big of a deal running around um, with what you're doing. So um, the other option, depending on your budget and as you get within about uh, six months, of pulling the trigger. So so you said you had a 24-month target time, which is outstanding. Um, I love the way you're doing this. You're you're virtually guaranteeing your success when you do it this way. So when you get down to about that six-month mark, that's when I would start looking for a truck. Um, No later than three months out, 90 days. But if you start at six and let's say within 30 days you just find that truck, the one that fits all the criteria, you can't find any reason not to buy it, you'll probably be in good enough shape to go ahead and pull the trigger, although you wouldn't have to because there, there's always trucks available. But the sooner you start looking, the the better prepared you're going to be, the better options you're going to find, and the, the more choices you're going to give yourself, and you won't feel that rush to buy the wrong truck. So if you start looking and you're in that mindset of, look, if I find the absolutely perfect truck, I may push my time up and do this a little early. But if I don't, I'm still going to start looking at six months because you will learn a lot and you will get to a point where after you've looked at a lot of trucks, you realize that there are a lot of trucks available so you don't feel that, that urgent need to just buy the first truck that seems like it's the right one. So having your timeline set, that turns this from a dream, which everybody has a dream, You put the dates on it and you start doing these things. Now it becomes a plan. And that makes all the difference in the world. So congratulations. I've got to get out of here. We'll see you next time. Be safe. Be profitable. Be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work. And master the journey. I'm Kevin Rothbard. All right, so we are going to do another hour. Um, looks like there's going to be some room for questions. Um, so if you want to jump in right now, press 1 on your phone, and it looks like I'll be able to get to you in the next hour. Um, if you wait too long, probably not. Here we go. Pure money,
4: pure tech. Your truck and your road to
2: success in the trucking industry. This is trucking business and beyond. The show that puts the money where it belongs back in your pocket. Welcome
3: to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. The website is Let'sTruck.com. The show is all about the business of trucking. We take your calls and answer your questions about trucks, money,
2: fuel mileage,
3: maintenance, tires, taxes, technology health and fitness on the road, getting started as an owner-operator, finding freight, working with brokers, getting your own authority, you name it, we'll talk about it. All you have to do is pick up the phone and join me. And uh, these short shows during the week, sometimes I just like to get right to your phone calls and see what it is you want to talk about. That's what we're going to do tonight. We're going to head on over to Louisiana. Philip, welcome to the program. Hi, Kevin. How are you doing today?
10: great. We can help you. Out. Yeah, you know I'm a new, fairly new driver. I've been driving for about uh, I guess eight, eight to nine months now, and I'm really starting to consider uh, buying my own truck because I've, you know, I've listened to you and you pretty much kind of said don't lease; it's better to buy. And right. I've been interested in getting your audio book. Uh, and I've been looking online now. If I order the the course of action does that come with the other audio book, or is it just a separate purchase?
3: So, where did you see course of action?
10: Uh, on your on your website, the uh, Let's Truck.
3: On the website. website, you saw it. Yeah. Go check the store because I don't know why we would have course of action. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah, so here's what happens. We we used to sell Course of Action separately. Course of Action uh-huh. is a
2: two-DVD
3: set, so it's a video that we okay. recorded at a seminar. We used to sell that separately. We don't anymore. It now comes packaged with the program, which is called Stop Holding the Steering Wheel and Start Driving Your Business. So you get Course of Action as part of the whole package.
10: Okay, okay. Uh, and I have one more question. Uh, I'm currently right now pull tankers. Is that a good segment of the business to be in, to own, uh, to be an owner-operator?
3: You know, all segments are good. They, they really are. There isn't a segment out there that I couldn't make money in. We just have to look at them differently. For example, if we look at dry van, there's the most competition. There are more people pulling dry van than any other segment, which means typically rates are going to be a little lower. But it also means there's a lot of freight. I mean, I I can find dry van freight in every part of the country at any time. So, you know, we we look at the segments a little differently. If I'm going to pull dry van freight, I'm going to really, really work on Controlling expenses, keeping my costs down. That's a a good way to generate profit in a segment like drive-in. I'm also going to look at pulling a drive-in, which everybody's doing. How do I find maybe the niche markets within drive-in? Maybe certain types of freight or certain shippers or certain lanes or certain part of the countries where the rate is better. And that's work, but it's available. I mean, if you're going to be successful, we're going to have to put in work. Um, tanker traditionally has higher rates per mile. Typically, we don't see as many miles, and there are places where you're going to go, and there's just no tanker plate available anywhere. So yeah. there, there are ups and downs to every segment. So I tell people not to pick a segment or, or don't attempt to pick a segment based on how much money you can make. Because I can either really do well in any segment or I could go broke and bankrupt in any segment. It's not going to matter. What I would yeah. choose a segment on is what you like doing. That, that to me, is far more important. You know, if, if somebody yeah. thought that flatbed paid the most, but they hated doing flatbed work and they went to do it just for the money, I think that's a mistake. I I think we need to be happy with what we're doing. So I would look around, and this is a great opportunity. When you make that change from company driver to owner-operator, that's a great opportunity to say, hey, what do I want to do? And, And let's go do it. And you may even, depending on your plan and your timeline, you may even go take a job as an employee driver in that segment for three to six months prior so that you get a little on-the-job training before you know it's as critical when you have your own truck. But, but again, I wouldn't pick a segment based on money. I would pick a segment based on what you like to do and then figure out how to make money doing it. Okay. All right. Well,
10: that's very helpful. Thank
3: you. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. Also, make sure, uh, I, yeah, getting, getting my audio book is absolutely step one, but also start listening to all kinds of audio books, business, goal setting, leadership, You know, anything you can get your hands on. You have 50 to 60 hours a week. You could get the equivalent of a master's degree in a year or two uh, with that kind of time available. Let's go to Missouri. Aaron, welcome to the program. Hey, how you doing? Can you uh,
9: put me back on hold? I'm going over a scale.
3: I can. We'll come back to you in a little bit. Uh, let's go to Texas. Alan, welcome to the program.
6: Hi, Kevin. How
3: you doing? Doing great. What's on your
10: mind today? Yes, Kevin. I call in um I was Talk to you about the um, – is it a really a big difference for is fuel efficient on a,
7: with a
8: chart, uh, 12.7 or 14 liter?
3: Um, no, there really isn't. The, the, the thing that makes it difficult about comparing those two engines is that there just aren't enough 14 liter non-EGR running around. So right. anytime we try to make the comparison – we're comparing the 12.7 non-EGR to a 14-liter EGR, and that's just not a fair comparison. Um, the, the EG, any EGR engine is going to be very inconsistent in fuel mileage, and that's a challenge because, I mean, that's what I talk about all the time. That's one of the big reasons I don't like these engines. They break down a lot, and their fuel mileage is inconsistent. Whereas a 12.7, a non-EGR, if the fuel economy is low, we can almost always figure out why and improve it. Now, we do have some 14-liter non-EGR engines running around, and they do well. Uh, We just don't have enough of them to really say. I I wouldn't be confident saying either one is better than the other. I just don't have enough numbers to know.
4: So uh, So, I, I
3: guess the bigger issue here is... Um, I wouldn't even consider owning a 14-liter EGR. I wouldn't own an EGR anything. So if, if, if the question is, should I have a 12.7 non-EGR or a 14-liter EGR, I don't even care about fuel economy. Hands down, I'd rather have the non-EGR. Okay. Okay.
8: On, uh, I got another question, too. Uh, while I was looking at it, it was a 2002 freight liner with an ISX in it. What about that engine?
3: Uh... Uh, you know, this one's a tough one. It's not my favorite. In fact, I'll would i I'll go far enough to say that I wouldn't buy that truck. Um, I, you know, I have three engine choices that I will primarily stick with. Series 60, I'm, I will get it at Cummins, but I want an N14, or a Cat. So it, it, always pre-EGR, and those are the three engines I would choose. It, it's not that I... Couldn't make money with the ISX. It could. It wouldn't necessarily be a deal-breaker. But when there are so many trucks still available with one of those other three engines, there would be no reason for me to own an ISX. I just think they're a little overcomplicated. Okay.
8: On the cats, uh, the 3406 is what you really recommend
3: on those. Uh, Yeah, later 90s. I I don't like to go too old on those because they're electronics. I wasn't all that wild about the electronics on the first 3406Es. But, you know, by the time we get to 98, 99, that's a great engine. Okay.
10: Well, thank you, Kevin. I appreciate what you do.
3: You're welcome. Thanks for the call let's see. You know what? I'm uh, heading into a break here. So I'm going to get to a break. We're going to come right back. We're going to get to more of your calls and questions. So don't go away. Check out the website. It's letstruck.com. Next event coming up, uh, it seems like this has just been a
2: busy, busy
3: year. Um, I have to start looking forward now to the... uh, great american truck show in Dallas sometime in august i haven't even looked at the date yet i'm not sure what i'm going to be doing there i need to get on the ball and start planning something and we'll let you know as we work out the details stick around we'll be right back kevin rogers back. I'm Kevin rutherford The website is Let's truck.com. I'm going to get right back. Calls. We're off to Oregon this time. In irby, in welcome to the, the you program. Uh oh. That was a crazy kind of echo. irby uh let me try that one more time. I'm, 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 I'm. Well, that's not going to work. Um, I have no idea what might be going on with that one. Um, If you're on a headset of some kind or Bluetooth or speaker phone, maybe go back to the handset. Um, I'll have Bridget pick up and see if we can figure that out. And in the meantime, I'm going to head off to Iowa. Ken, welcome to the program.
5: Hello, Mr. Rutherford. How are you doing today?
3: Doing great. What's on your mind?
5: Oh, I just wanted to congratulate you on doing the hard work and getting your NTP. I haven't heard anybody say anything to you, and I'm very proud of you. You had a great CMC, oh, well, and and I
1: know you, you. were struggling.
3: <laughs> yes, uh, I was. Uh, You know, it, it, it's a tough program. There's a tremendous amount of information, and then having the Louisville Truck Show and the CMC both between midterms and finals and all that traveling made it really difficult. So I ended up literally the last eight days before finals, I did nothing except study, nothing. I got up early in the morning, studied all day, sometimes took a nap, got back up, studied all night, It was a lot of work to cram into a short period of time, but boy, am I relieved that it is over and I passed.
1: Yep. Congratulations. That's all I wanted to say and really nothing to talk about other than that, so let you get on with the next thing.
3: Thank you. I I really appreciate that. And and I I have to tell you... you know, I, I didn't know what to expect when I started the NTP program. I had already done a tremendous amount of reading, over 100 books on health and nutrition and fitness and disease and drugs and all kinds of things before I started the program. And so thoroughly impressed with the NTP program and the results that I see people getting. We are so used to going to a doctor and having them prescribe a drug, and that's it. They don't ask you about what you eat. They don't ask you about your lifestyle. And I I know that's not all doctors, but it is very, very common. I have attempted to talk to doctors about nutrition, and their attitude is that it just doesn't matter. And, And nothing could be further from the truth. Everything about our health, every single thing is impacted and controlled by diet first and lifestyle second. And the only way we're ever going to get healthier and solve these problems is to fix it with nutrition and lifestyle. And doctors won't address either one or very little. They'll say, well, you need to go on a diet or you need to get more activity. That's not going to cut it. They've been telling us that for 40 or 50 years. The the NTP program, even though they are not medically trained, it is such a much more effective approach. An NTP is trained to keep digging until you find the root cause of the problem and then fixing that problem. Not covering it up with a drug or a, a, you know, surgery, even worse, but actually fixing it. And the cool thing is, you fix it with nutrition. Everything our body needs. If we give our body the right nutrition, it will fix its own problems. Let's um, let's go to Maryland. Philip, welcome to the program.
1: Hey, Kevin. How are you doing?
3: We're good. What can I help you with today?
1: Hey, I just had a question. I'm a mechanic, work for the one guy that drives a uh, truck and I'm a part farmer too, while I'm more farmer than I am mechanic. But um there was a a product that we found that works um I don't know what your suggest. I mean how it works. But they said it's supposed to be good stuff. It's called K seal, like for leaking like if you have antifreeze leaks on radiator leaks, your head gasket, do you have any input on that, what your value is with that or not?
3: Yeah, I, I do. I'm just, um, okay. they, they do work. They will seal things up most of the time, but that scares me a little bit. If we think about that, this is a product that's designed to find a small crack and fill it. Well, right. there are lots of small passageways inside our cooling system as well. So I always yeah. wonder, what is this stuff really doing? Yes, it fixes the emergency problem I might have, but will we ever get that stuff back out of the engine? And I, We see older trucks, um, it's very common for older trucks to start developing cooling issues even though nothing's broke. It just the the whole cooling system deteriorates over time. We get some buildup, mineral buildup in places. Flow isn't as good as it used to be. And and that's a tough problem to solve sometimes. The last thing I would want to do is put something in my engine or my cooling system that could potentially make that problem worse. Um, This would be one of those things that, Let's say I'm an owner-operator and I'm really, really struggling money-wise. I've got a plan. I'm going to turn this around, and I end up with a, a cracked head. And, and it's either put this stuff in or go out of business. I guess in a situation like that, I, I might put it in and hope I can you know, make up for it later. But that would be the only time. I mean, it would have to be an absolute emergency. If I don't do this, I'm probably going to go out of business anyway. Um, I might make a Hail Mary pass and try it then. Otherwise, I, I wouldn't go it. anywhere near this stuff.
1: Yeah, because we've we've tried the Conklin stuff, and everybody says stay away from that. I forget what it's called. But then we found that other It's called K-Seal, and now uh, the parts store around here carried it. And they said that it's not supposed to do that. It's like it, some of that tire stuff that they make to put in, like fix a flat, stuff like that, it looks
4: right. well, there's a
1: water base that we have got to try one time. It looks identical to that, but it's in an antifreeze form. It's made for, like, your, your coolant system instead of putting it in a tire. It's actually got real copper shavings with some other fiber stuff in it. They said it's not supposed to plug up unless it finds an air leak. It has to have oxygen to activate it. So I well, don't
2: know. That's so, how but, I
1: wanted to ask you what your opinion was on it. Yeah, so,
3: so can they guarantee me that I never get air pockets in my cooling system?
1: Well, that's the thing. You do. I've seen them airwalk anyway. Of you do. <laughs> yeah,
3: of course we get air in the system. It happens all the time.
6: And, and right. if
3: they're saying it, it needs oxygen to harden, well, there's a good chance it's going to come into contact with oxygen in the cooling system somewhere. That's what scares yeah. me.
1: That, that's what I didn't know. I never really thought about it. I figured, well, maybe you have more input on it. You have an education on what, what it really, if it really does harm the engine, but I see where you're coming from, too. If it's on your last yeah, if, and you have to do it, do it, but if you don't have to, okay. don't do it.
3: Yeah, and that's really what it comes down to. I mean, I I would reserve that kind of stuff for an absolute true emergency. Uh, You know, I've got a coolant leak, and I possibly afford to fix it. It's just, and if you're in that shape, you've got a lot of stuff to worry about. So other than, and and, and I can't tell you which one's better or worse, because I just won't use it. So for me, it's not something I'm ever going to test or recommend, it would be one of those true, hail Mary, I have no other way of saving the truck or saving the business kind of situation before I would even think about doing it. Um, I'm sure there are people that have used it and not had any problems. And I, I don't think that you're just going to pour it in and it's going to screw something up. But I I just like, I mean, obviously, I like the idea of keeping these old engines running a long time. And I don't want to put something in the engine that's going to compromise that. And I I just don't trust these products. Uh, I think they will cause, if not immediate problems, they will cause long-term problems in the cooling system. So if we've got a leak, we just need to fix it. Again, if you're, if you're in a position where you can't afford to fix a leak, probably got bigger issues anyway. Um, at least that's my opinion. All right, I am, uh, I'm going to get to a break, and then we're going to come right back and get some more of your calls and questions right after this. Check out the website. If you want to join us on our recordings... You can do that. It's real simple. Just text the word LISTEN to 99,000. Real simple. Just grab your phone, just like you were going to send a text message to anybody. Text the word LISTEN to 99,000, and that puts you on a list, and we'll send you a text message every time we're going to do a recording. Stick around. We'll be right back with more stuff. Kevin Ruff. All right, so um, as of right now, I've got a couple questions left, but we've got two segments, so I can probably fit in um, two to three more calls in questions. So if you press one on your phone right now, I'll be able to get to you. If not, if we run out of questions, I'll just uh, call it a day. So if you want to get through, you've got a question, a comment, a topic, go ahead and press one on your phone right now. There you go. Uh-huh. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. The website is com. We're going to get right back to the phone calls. We are off to Oklahoma. Stuart, welcome to the program.
9: Tax yesterday there, Kevin.
3: Absolutely. What's uh, on your mind today?
9: Have you got my fuel gauges pulled up there?
3: I am in the process of pulling it up right now. What are we looking at?
9: All right. Uh, two Phillips ago... I had a uh, seven point eight one mile a gallon fill up. Uh it was hauling the same exact weight as what I usually haul, but it it's way lower than what I usually get. Kinda wondering, uh kinda wondering, I know that you uh you know, you'll see every now and then that there's one on the same haul with the same driver. Uh, you know, all the same exact weight and every now and then, I'll get one of them really low uh, mile-to-the-gallon fill-ups, and I'm kind of wondering your thoughts
3: on that. So I'm looking back through your history, and I'm going back quite a ways, and you're right. You have very consistent fuel economy, a really good fuel economy, and you're typically in the eights and nines. Um, if you're wow. in the sevens, it's usually very high sevens. Those are, And if we look at consistency... Um, you know, across the life of what you've been tracking, uh, lifetime 7.8, 90-day 7.9, 60-day 8.2, and 30-day 8.5. Now, first off, that's a great progression. That's outstanding. And it's a nice, steady, consistent climb. That's a really good thing. And then you're right. We see these oddball Once in a while, six miles to the gallon kind of thing. Um, Typically, I can usually dig deep enough to figure out why that happened. And sometimes it's one of those perfect storms of three or four different things that cause that to happen. Um, You know, if you're running a dedicated route and this happens, there are only a couple variables we have to look at. If you're running, you know, randomly, um, there are more possibilities as to why this happened. One of the things people really never think about uh, as far as fuel economy is the road surface. So if you go from, if we look at all the potential road surfaces we can drive on, when you have polished concrete, meaning there's, there's a concrete road surface, no asphalt put over top of it, That is usually the least rolling resistance we're ever going to encounter. So if you spend all day on polished concrete, you're probably going to have one of your good fuel mileage days. On the other hand, when you're coming through the gorge here in Oregon, there are a couple sections of 84 where they tend to get a lot of ice blowing off the river. And they make it, it's almost chip and seal blacktop. It is a really, really rough asphalt surface for traction, and it will
2: kill fuel
3: economy. Like, I, can, I, I tested my scan gauge. When we were developing the scan gauge, I did a lot of the driving up and down 84 in the gorge, and I had two big variables I had to deal with constantly, that road surface and the wind because the wind in the gorge is horrendous and it changes constantly. So those are just two variables. So now imagine on a specific tank, you spend more time on a bad road surface than normal. You've got a wind, which could either be a headwind that you absolutely feel, or it might be a crosswind that you don't feel that much, but it still affects fuel economy. Now let's say we also throw in... Maybe we got a so-so batch of fuel that day. You know, there, there, maybe the humidity is slightly different. Um, maybe we had a little more stop and go and we didn't realize it. There, there, maybe most of the day we were actually on an, you know, a slight uphill, like going from Kansas City to Denver. You know, it doesn't feel like you're going uphill, but you're going uphill the whole time so it, it, it almost always comes down to the fact that when we have that one oddball tank, it usually ends up being three or four variables that all came together at the same time. that makes sense
9: yeah, yeah it, that does make sense uh, and like you say, it has to be something I didn't notice, but oh well, uh, I got one more thing for you, bud. uh sure uh, about the uh the flow below system. For the truck, uh, yeah. I was kind of wondering if if you if you couple the flow below with minimizer or full fenders, does that does that hurt or help the point there? Because really, what I guess you're doing is adding more aerodynamics across the top of the duels. Or am I am I yeah, missing the wind by doing that?
2: Well, we
3: don't know. I mean, I like that thinking. The problem with aerodynamics are they are very, very tricky. I mean, what we think seems obvious never is. This is what drives me crazy about most of the trailer aerodynamic stuff on the market, side skirts, and there's very, very little testing on most of that stuff. All they believe is, well, if we stick something up on the side of the trailer here, it's going to make things better. You know, I used to think that way too until I spent some time with Smart Truck and watched their testing and talked to their engineers. I mean, they would literally tweak something by moving it a half inch, you know, and, and cutting an angle at a 50 degree instead of a 45. They, they would move something upward down in a certain direction and then retest over and over and over. It, and they found... Like, for example, their, their uh, solution on the back edge of the trailer only comes down a little more than halfway, about 60% of the trailer. It doesn't go all the way to the bottom of the, the side. And I asked them, I said, and they said, well, we tested that over and over and over. It doesn't do any good. So why would we make a bigger device when it's not helping anything? Now, most of us would look at it and go, well, wait a minute. Why doesn't it come all the way down? Well, they know that it doesn't need to. So, you know, the, the, to, to try to answer an aerodynamic question like that just requires a lot of testing. Um, I don't know whether it would work better with a, a full fender or without a fender at all. Sometimes what looks like it's going to work actually makes things worse. Yeah. yeah
9: I was hoping to do that testing out without having to spend the extra $1,000, you know. So...
0: All
9: right, well, I appreciate
3: you very much, Kevin. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. Now, we do know that full fenders on their own really don't change much. Um, We do know that the um, flow below does change. We've got tons of testing on that. But I have no idea about the combination of them together. Just don't know. Let's, uh, Let's go to Virginia. Rocky, welcome to the program.
10: Hi Kevin, nice to talk to you again. Um, got an O2 classic I, or 1001. I talked to you about it when I first bought it back in February. I'm probably going to get another six months out of these Low Pro twenty four fives. fives. Friend of mine is driving a truck with the uh, super singles and really likes them. Would I lose anything by going to the 22 five super singles? Or
3: oh no, you should make uh, a. a- Pretty solid gain by going to those.
10: Okay. Okay, so it would be a gain. I wouldn't lose running more
3: RPMs or anything. Now, you know, here's the thing people always worry about, you know, changing tire size because it's going to increase RPM. It will, there's no question. The thing is, though, you know, after years and years of testing, We might say that an engine does really well at 1,300 RPM, and that may be true, but that same engine will do almost just as good at 1,450. I mean, the RPMs don't make a huge difference, and the thing about RPM is it's it's very subjective. There are times when lower RPM gets better fuel economy, there are just as many times where higher RPM gets better fuel economy. So it's not an easy variable to understand, whereas rolling resistance only works one way. There's never any variation. If you lower rolling resistance, you increase fuel economy. If you raise rolling resistance, you lower fuel economy. It is a straight equation. It's physics. It doesn't change. So we know if we can lower rolling resistance we're going to improve fuel economy. And the RPM change may or may not have any effect. It may have a slightly negative effect, but not as much as the tires improve things. And it may even have a positive effect. Okay.
10: Okay, and if I take the twenty four five steer tires off too and put twenty two fives on, low pros, this truck sits tall.
3: Oh, yeah, and that's another improvement, actually. The lower you bring that truck to the ground, the better the aerodynamics become. Stick around. We'll be right back with more stuff from Kevin Ruff. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. We're, uh, we're down to the final segment, so I'm going to get right back to some phone calls. We're off to Kansas. Lloyd, welcome to the program.
11: Hello Kevin, congratulations on becoming an NTP. That's awesome.
3: Oh, thank you. What a what a relief and a uh, great feeling to be done with it.
11: Yes, I understand that. Hey, I, I've certainly learned to trust your advice, advice on trucking. So, I'm going to trust I want to trust your advice and and do some hard work on my part. Um, I've recently made some changes in my diet. I've gone from, um, say, uh, when I purchase a number whatever meal at the truck stop fast food joint, I substitute out the French fries for a piece of fruit kind of thing. I've completely cut out soda and candy bars. And, wow, just that change by itself has made such a difference in uh, kind of a fog I've had, my energy level, I'm sleeping better. And I was wondering what could possibly be my next couple of
3: steps. Excellent. So that is a great start. And I love when somebody makes the change and then sees the results. So congratulations. It it gives you the motivation to keep trying something. Um, I I would say the next thing that I would attempt, and the other thing to remember, and I I think you get this because it's kind of how you're doing it, is that this is not an all-or-nothing proposition. Every little step we take towards a better food choices makes a difference. So, you know, and, and you made a pretty major one, and you see the difference. I would say the next step I would work towards doesn't I mean you have to do it overnight, but I would work towards becoming grain free. It, it is okay. the next. So so when I work with people and with all the research I've done and all the studying, getting sugar balanced, which really in our society means reducing carbs way down, which is kind of what you're working on now, has a huge impact because blood sugar controls so much of how we feel. So you saw that result. The next biggest change I see people make is getting away from grains. And it, it has two benefits. Grains have a ton of proteins that just don't fit well with our body. They're they're not our our body doesn't see them as food. It sees them as foreign invaders. It kicks up our immune response, causes gut issues that have a cascade effect further down the line. And all grains are high in carbs and they're virtually empty carbs. There's no nutrition in them. So working towards being grain-free would be the next step that I would work on. Now, you can also kind of take this in steps. So not all grains are as bad as other grains. I've eliminated them all. I just don't eat any of them anymore. Um, But wheat is your worst. Anything with wheat or rye or barley... Um, quinoa, even some of the things they say aren't really grains. We kind of call them pseudo grains. They all still have problems. Um, Rice isn't quite as bad and honestly, even though we've been told you should eat brown rice because it's whole grain and all that, it's the opposite. If you're going to eat rice, make it white rice. It it has far fewer negative consequences. Um, Grains also have what are called anti-nutrients in them. So grains all have um, components that will bind to the the nutrition in the other food that we eat, the vitamins and the minerals. The grains actually bind to those and carry them out of the body. So it's like taking a vitamin in reverse. It, It takes the stuff out of our food that we want and doesn't allow our body to absorb it. So, there's just so many reasons not to eat grains. They're really not human food. So, that's what I would... Corn um, is a grain, and corn has several problems. One, almost all of the corn in the U.S. is GMO, which means it's Franken food. Our body doesn't even recognize it as food. If you could find organic corn is non-GMO, so if you find organic corn products... But they're still going to be high in starch, so they're high in carbs. I just really find it easier. For me, I've been completely grain-free for a year and a half, and I don't cheat. Um, And and I feel amazing. So I think that may be a a next good step for you.
11: Okay. Can I ask you one other question? Sure. More specific to me. Uh, I I do not have my gallbladder. It was removed about six years ago. So. I need some help with that, too.
3: Yeah, and and this is one of those times where following this high-fat, low-carb diet, which is so good for you in so many ways, can cause problems for people who don't have a gallbladder because the whole point of the gallbladder is to digest fats properly. Well, the more fat we start putting in our diet, sometimes the worse you're going to feel if you don't address your gallbladder or the lack of. Um, the good news is it's easy to fix. We have a, There are supplements you can take that both support the liver and kind of make up for the fact that you don't have the gallbladder. So the gallbladder's job, the liver produces bile, and bile is what digests fat. The gallbladder's job, think of it kind of like a fuel injector. The gallbladder says, okay, I just realized there's some fat in the digestive system and it releases the right amount of bile for the amount of fat. Kind of like the fuel injector would release the right amount of fuel based on everything the ECM is telling it, it needs for fuel right now. When the gallbladder think- is gone, it would be kind of like not having a fuel injector anymore. You have a fuel pump and it keeps pumping fuel but there's nothing to control the release of it. So it's just flooding the cylinder all the time. That's what's happening in, in your digestive tract. Your liver is producing bile, but there's nothing to control when it gets released. So it just gets released all the time. So there are times when you have too much bile, and it kind of gives you an upset stomach and diarrhea and all kinds of things. Then there, when you eat enough fat, there's not going to be enough bile. So the supplement that we use for this has support for the liver, and it actually is bile salt itself. So you can control how much bile you have. When you eat a high-fat meal, you take a couple of these supplements with the meal, and now you have the bile with the fat to digest it. So it's actually an easy fix. It's just one of those things that you have to do the rest of your life. You have to take that supplement when you eat the rest of your life because you don't have your gallbladder anymore. I see. And that's
11: bile salt with a liver supplement.
3: Yeah. So, you know, you can go look up supplements like that and, and, you know, feel free to read up and, and, you know, check into different kinds. We are, we're selling supplements right now. We don't have them in our store yet. But if you call, um, you know, tell whoever answers the phone that, you know, or you can email us at support@letstruck.com, at and, and all you have to do is tell me you don't have a gallbladder, and then I have a very specific supplement that um, comes from our professional line Biotics, and it works amazing.
11: Perfect. Okay, thank you very much, Kevin, and again, congratulations.
3: You're welcome. Thanks for the call.
11: Yeah, gallbladder
3: is a big one. The good news is you can feel so much better when you start eating a high-fat diet and supplement to be able to digest it. Let's go to Chicago. John, welcome to the program.
7: Hi, Kevin. FairTax now.
3: Congratulations on Absolutely. the NTP.
7: My question for you is NTP or Certified Financial Planner, which one was tougher for you? Uh,
3: you know, that's an interesting question, and I'll tell you why. Um If I had nothing to do except take either one of those programs and then have to sit for the exam, the CFP would be more difficult. There there is a lot more material in the CFP. It took me almost three years to get through all the classes for the CFP. Um, The NTP took me a year. So there is a lot more material. The exam for the c f p was fifteen hours um, the exam for the n t p is two hours so but honestly for me i maybe it's because I'm much closer to the experience right now uh, my my c f p was challenging no question but I I had a lot more time back then, and I I controlled my time, and I studied throughout the whole program. And just the way the NTP happened with with so many, you know, the the CMC getting so big and everything we've got going on, it felt like the NTP was more difficult. But that was mostly my fault.
7: Okay. Well, thank you very much for... Studying up and doing it for us, and I really look
3: forward to learning more from you. You're welcome. I am, uh, this week, by the way, I'm going to continue the uh, podcast series on the NTP process. We'll be doing that on Wednesday, so join us. Thanks uh, for being here. We'll see you next time. Be safe, be profitable, be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey. I'm Kevin Rothbard.